0: This is Internet Marketing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 140 of Internet Marketing, brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. Hello, Kelvin. Hello, Andy. Hello, listeners. And hello, everybody. And uh, today's show is, uh, we're going to delve a little bit more deeply, I know we've touched on this before, but we're going going to delve a little bit more deeply into cognitive biases. Can you just remind us, Calvin, what cognitive biases Cognitive
1: bias is essentially where your behaviour acts in a certain way that perhaps isn't the most rational, um, or kind of there's a, a break from what you ought to be doing. So the way I quite often describe it is tricks your mind plays on you. Um, so where we do things that actually if you step back and look at the patterns of human behavior doesn't really make a lot of sense and that has ramifications for marketers because if you can understand these irrational behaviors that people have um, you can potentially change your way of presenting products or services to you know respond to and this isn't kind of you know kind of hypnotism or NLP or any of that type of stuff it's more just about if people are going to behave in certain ways um, you know how can you respond to that for your mutual benefit so it's triggered out of the world of behavioural economics I've talked about some of the books that um, are really good in that two that I thoroughly recommend predictably irrational and nudge and many of the the examples I'm going to talk about in this podcast are, are sort of derived from um the examples in those books and the studies that they make reference to so um i'm first going to talk about anchoring um and anchoring is kind of one of the fundamental cognitive biases that we have um so i'll talk to you a bit about um a kind of approximation of one of the experiments that they did so if i had 20 people in this room andy with us although it's only me and you yes um and i were to ask them originally they asked social security number but we don't have those in the uk so if i were to say what's the last two digits of your mobile phone number mm-hmm. um and i go around the room and one person's is one one person's is 10 one person's 20 30 40 and 50 and so on so um So I've asked them that first question, what's the last two digits of your phone number? And then I present to them, here is a jar of brown M&Ms. How many M&Ms are there in that jar? Anchoring has found that the first number that they've said, where they've just talked, which is random, their phone number, Mm. their social security number, um, then influences the number they guess. So the people who 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 said, first question on your piece of paper what's the last two digits of your phone number and mine is um, 78 and then I am more likely to guess a higher number in the jar of M&M's than someone who had 10 which is peculiar but that's because the first number has anchored what we think of going forward. So, Kelvin, Uh, so if I said to you, um, Kelvin,
0: I want you to guess my age, and then I immediately said to you, Kelvin, how much money would you like to sponsor me for for my marathon run in in April? I'd get loads of money.
1: Yeah, well, if you're old. um, You know, that's that's the question on that one, Andy. (laughs) But yeah, and that's another example. There was another question that kind of showed anchoring, which was, Um, How many African states? How many? What percentage of the African states do you think are members of the UN? Um, More or less than five percent was the first question. Then, Mm -hmm. how many do you think there are in total? Then they asked the same question: How many members of the UN? uh, How many African um, states do you think are members of the UN? More or less than thirty-five percent? And how many in total? And the thirty-five percent, you know, people generally guessed higher because that first question had anchored them that thirty-five percent was around about the, the right sort of level. So that has implications for marketers as well. Um, so, I mean, one area about this is, I think in day-to-day advice, is anchoring has a huge impact on, you know, decisions that people make. So that means actually quite often making that first bid in a negotiation mm. can be, you know, hugely important. So say you're talking to a recruiter, um, and we've been dealing with some recruiters recently, and... They say, "Well, what salary do you, you know, are you looking for?" Um, so they 've not told you what the salary is for the job, um, and they ask you what your salary you're looking for. If you go first, that's reference them that, okay, well, they want it within 10, 15 of, percent of that number. Okay. Um, and you've got that as well when you're pricing projects. Um, if they say, someone comes to you and you say how much does a podcast cost to produce and you say well it you know it's between x and y mm. they've now then know that it's between x and y if you'd have gone well what sort of money are you looking to spend and they've gone 10 grand that's then referenced that as the number that it starts mm. from rather than you saying you know between 5 and 10 mm. you know it, it it changes you know on those types of examples as well um, and the context in which decisions take place is really really important A a kind of really practical way that anchoring happens that I think is amazing is when you go into a restaurant, Addy, do you ever buy the cheapest bottle of wine on the the, the menu? (laughs) Most people are like me and buy the second cheapest bottle of wine on the menu. You don't want to go for the absolute cheapest. But do you think that the fact that everyone does that, that restaurateurs might have realised that and perhaps actually made their cheapest bottle of wine... The second cheapest bottle of wine. So say I've mm. got two bottles of wine. One is nineteen ninety nine, and one is twenty one ninety nine. I could maybe go. Okay, well I'll keep the twenty one ninety nine one at twenty one ninety nine and make the nineteen ninety one nineteen ninety, yeah, you know, twenty quid bottle we of wine. You know what you mean, Kelvin. Yeah, and make that a little bit more expensive. Mm. So actually, the cheap one becomes the second cheapest. They're making even more margin on that. So there's mm. all of those types of decisions as well. Um, and you know. I think a practical way this works is if someone's just put a 350 quid iPad in their basket on your shop and you then suggest that they buy a 30 quid case, it doesn't seem that expensive compared to if they'd done it the other way round. What, they have gone out to buy a case? Yeah, so if, <laughs> right. I go and, you know, so if I'm buying a 300 quid case and it's like, oh, well, it's only another you know, 30 quid on top, mm. that's very different to then going out and spending the 30 quid independently or even in terms of the sequencing. So say I've put um, a, you know, I'm buying two items on a shop. One of them is £100 and one's £10. If I put the £100 one in first, it seems less of an obligation to put the £10 one in and buy that as well. Whereas if you put the £10 one in first, it then starts to, you know, you potentially you could view it in a very different way then as the contents of that as well. And I think actually this has ramifications for e-commerce sites, right? So the standard default way of presenting, if someone clicks on a category page of Amazon, they go to the, you know, the, the, you know, the tumble dry section of Amazon. Um, there's two ways it's sorted. Sometimes it's sorted lowest to highest price, which you don't see that often. Most frequently it's sold best-selling, Right, so the bestseller is number one, the second bestseller is number two, and, and so on and so forth. That makes a lot of sense. It becomes a bit self-referencing. So things become bestsellers and stay bestsellers because they're always at the top of the category list. Um, but actually, I think, and anchoring suggests, that people should be considering what, how that's presented. So say, for example, I go onto Amazon, I look to buy a laptop, and it's sorted by bestsellers and the first one is 750 pound the second one's 750 pound the third one is 750 pound and then the fourth one's 1000 pound suddenly that 1000 pound one looks really really expensive compared to the other ones i've seen mm. so i'm less likely to buy it because it's expensive but say it was sorted how i wanted it to be and i had 1500 pound 1000 pound 750 suddenly that 1000 pound one doesn't look quite so expensive and, you know, I think that potentially anchoring suggests that, you know, maybe putting that cheap bottle of wine in the second place is the type of thing that kind of e-commerce people should be thinking about um, by putting an expensive item that you know isn't going to sell to make the other items seem cheaper. And you'll see that quite a lot in the software as service kind of market where they'll mm. have, like, standard, pro, Excel. Yeah. And in a lot of cases they're not even ever intending to sell any of those XL ones. They just put that kind of ridiculously high number in there to make the other ones seem cheaper. So in this world where you're selling digital products or you're selling you know, products that you don't actually have to physically stock, be prepared to sometimes promote things that you don't think you're going to sell um, because it provides an anchor point for the rest of the products that you are planning on selling. Does that sort of make sense? It there? does make sense, actually, yeah. It does make sense um so another big cognitive bias very disturbing sense but yes, it makes sense yeah yeah um, and it's kind of this i mean I, i've rushed over and brushed over a lot of the science there but the science to back this up um another big cognitive bias is the loss aversion idea so people are very averse to losing um, and actually studies have shown that loss is felt twice as powerfully as gain so if you think about a kind of emotional impact of winning something and losing something or gaining something and losing something the loss has felt twice as strong so the change in your mood of getting 50 pounds is equivalent to losing 100 so actually um, you know there's those types of decisions that go on there as well that people hate to lose things and that's why you get ideas like sunk costs where you know well I've spent so much money on this what's another You know, amount of money to try and do that as well. So people generally hate to lose things, and they feel loss much more acutely than gain. So if you want someone to, you know, do something, you've got to be doing a lot more than what they're losing on that front. So um, how's that impact for the internet markets? Well, if you've got a subscription service, or uh, you know, you're providing a retainer, make it clear what someone would lose if they were to end that. as opposed to talk about what they 'll gain by staying, um, so if people think oh i 'm going to lose the x um, they 're less likely to to leave because if they want to replace x they 've got to do twi- they 've got to do two times it to, to be as good mm. um, and this is why the free trial model works so well is why it 's worked so well in direct marketing. Um, it's why it works so well in a software service that once someone has something they value it twice as much as um if they didn't have it you know so there's that there's that whole idea as well so that's why free trials work so it's all about small first time buying there so if you can get someone to trial you that's great but if you can get them to spend a little bit of money to buy what it is that you've got what you do what you offer Mm. um It's then very likely that they'll feel the loss aversion of ceasing to continue to work with you. And then you've got the opportunity for the upsell after that. Um, Another area of a common cognitive bias is the choice supportive bias. Um, So essentially, um, people had to, in the experiment, there were two cars, the car, you know, like a Ford and a Vauxhall, say there's two cars that they had to choose. They had a list of the specification of those, and then the person had to choose which of those two cars they would prefer, right? Um, and then afterwards, they took those two groups, interviewed them at a later date, and gave them a list of um, like extras that the cars had, and they had to say, "Did your car have these extras? Did the other car have those extras?" And people really overvalued the ones that they'd chosen right so mm. they'd say I'd chosen the Voxel well that definitely had air conditioning even though it might not have done or that definitely had an iPod player but it didn't have because people tend to once they've made a decision um, really appreciate that you know and it's that kind of fanboy mentality that once you've paid the money for the thing that you then tend to think it's better than it really actually objectively is mm. um, and people tend to overvalue what they own right so I mean I've got a Kona syndicone right which I bought in 2000 so what 11 years ago now and I've hardly ever used it um, because I'm more into road cycling if I do any cycling at all because I'm a lazy some and so nowadays Um, but I've never sold it because I've always thought it's worth a bit more than anyone else is prepared to pay for it now if I'd have sold it accepted that that it wasn't worth you know it cost me 750 pound when it was new something like that and then after a couple of years could have sold it for 500 pound it's like well it's definitely not it's worth more than 500 pound i would have had 500 pound now i'd struggle to sell it for 20 quid you see what i mean so people do very much overvalue what they own but that's you know good value for testimonials right so people once someone's bought your service they are very likely to um, you know appreciate that more than perhaps genuinely they should so you can use that to your benefit get these satisfied customers who are of you know a- supporting their choice with a bias in the future to recommend your products which will help you get more people to choose you and then you know self-fulfilling prophecy on that front um, another idea is hyperbolic discounting um so if i say painful yeah oh yeah <laughs> um so given the choice between if i say to you andy you can have 50 pound now or i'll give you a hundred pound in a year right statistically in the experience that they've done most people would choose the 50 pound now mm, right i would yeah now given the decision of 50 pound now versus a hundred pound in six years now it flips, right? And more people choose £100 in six years. Now that doesn't make any sense, right? Because, really? Yeah. That's, the, that's the, what, so what, like, yeah, what it shown. shown. And that's weird, right, isn't it? Very weird. Because it's further away and it's the same amount of money. Mm. Um, and what this shows is people tend to, you know, smaller instant gratification is often preferred mm. over um, larger gratification in the future. Um, so that kind of 50 pound now is better in most people's eyes than 100 pound um, you know in, in, in a year's time um, but people think very differently when it comes to the future right so this is that this is tied into the fact that white like, like people you know diets and the like so oh yeah I'll give that up tomorrow I'll have that you know McDonald's today mm-hmm. I won't have it tomorrow but actually in the future I'm going to be really really fit it's that similar people think about Short term, mid term, and long term very, very differently. Um, You know, and you need to understand that. So, you should be structuring your incentives appropriately, right? So, if you're giving away something free, make it free instantly rather than um, you'll get a discount on over the next 12 months. So, actually, if you're going to kind of give someone £10 a month every month for the next 12 months and give them £120 in total, you'd probably be better off giving them £50 tomorrow than £120 over those next 12 months. Um, false consensus we've talked about a little bit before um, in it in we did a whole episode on it so I won't go into too much um, you know background to that but false consensus is the fact that we tend to think that people think the same as us um, and we assume that everyone agrees with us um, so my advice there is test big things right so people will test little advert copy all the time right they don't test test the name of the company or whether they should launch the product in the first place um and also appreciate that a crowd of people can be wrong right so if you get a group of people in a focus group and have one strong-willed person in that focus group they will influence the the you know the rest of the group as well um and to sum up never assume anything about your audience right um test things look at tests other people have done and learn from them and don't always rely on your gut instinct it will often be right your gut instinct but Actually, there's dozens of ways in which we as a species don't react as you would expect us to um, and, and therefore um, you know you should be testing everything you possibly can in your campaign sage advice there mr kelvin newman
0: he forgot your name then i was so engrossed with that <laughs> uh, with that strange piece of data that you presented earlier that yeah. i almost forgot your name
1: um but yeah if people are interested in that the two big books are predictably irrational and nudge by the same author or different authors? Um, no. Um, Predictably Irrational is by Dan Erly, and um, Nudge is by someone failer and someone else. I can't remember that. Another names. person. If you search Nudge, it'll come up.
0: Well, thanks, Kelvin. And I think that wraps it for the show today. So I've been Andy White.
1: I know I've been drinking a glass of water, but my name is Kelvin Newman.
0: <laughs> and this has been Internet Marketing brought to you by Site
1: Visibility at sitedivisibility.com. And just quickly, next week's show. Next week's show is. He looks at the spreadsheet. All about backlink analysis and how you can do backlink analysis significantly better than most people do. All coming
0: up on next week's Internet Marketing.
1: See you next time, folks.
0: If you're outside of the UK, it's plus four four one two seven three two five six one five Oh, if you're inside the UK, it's oh one two seven three two five six one five Oh, and you can leave a voice comment or question. and We'll play it on the show. Also, we would absolutely be delighted if you would give us a, a rating on iTunes itself. Well, that's it for now. Andy White signing off until next week on Internet Marketing.